The Gun Experiment proudly presents Chopping It Up. And here are your hosts, Mike and Big Keith. All right, man. Back at it. Yeah, buddy. How you doing? Doing good. Join my uh, my little green tea with mint and honey over here. <laughs> oh man, that sounds nice. <laughs> how come? I, how come? You, how come? I have you bring me stuff like that? Uh, I don't know. I I uh, I could do that. I guess next time. <laughs> that that one sounds particularly good. I have to say, it's not bad. Helps with the throat. Nice. Which nice. sounded really weird. <laughs> <laughs> that silky. You want that silky sound for the Is, podcast? That's Is what that, I meant. Yes. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're getting into this thing. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And today's episode is sponsored by Target Sports USA. Their new ammo offering, New Republic, was specifically engineered for performance and reliability. New Republic is available in six calibers and all at a great price point. But for an even better deal, be sure to sign up for their Ammo Plus membership at targetsportsusa.com, which gets you 8% off all ammo purchases and makes you eligible for their truck giveaway in September. So be sure to go over. Man, that's coming fast. Sign up. I know. Really Did they is. get the truck yet? I, uh, they told me we're giving a truck away. Okay. That's all I know. So I don't know if they have one yet. All Last right. year we got to see it ahead of time. Yeah. I hope we get to see it again. Yeah. It was sweet. It was nice. F-150, right? Yep. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to get another Ford. I bet yeah. you they do. I'm going to say yes. Say yes. I'm, I'm going to say, say I'm going to say something different. Okay. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to say uh, they're going to go with a Dodge this time. Okay. I, Dodge is my second favorite pickup brand. Okay. I, I, I like them a lot, but I'm kind of a Ford guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a Ford guy than I am everything else. I don't, I don't discriminate against much, but. Yeah. So if anyone out there is looking to support us, <clears throat> you can subscribe. Obviously, that's a good way to start. And then leave us a five-star review and comment on Apple or leave the five-star review on Spotify. And Spotify now offers an ability to give us little comments. So if you found something interesting or you have a question, you can leave us something over on Spotify as well. So Keith, before we get into things tonight, um, I have something special for you. Oh yeah? So we have a guest coming on <clears throat> in a few weeks mm -hmm. uh, on Chopping It Up. And uh, the way in which I met this individual was um, our friend Chris Blau yes. from uh, 1911 Syndicate, who's been on a number yep. of times. He reached out and he said, you guys need to know each other. And now you do. Oh, and that's great. That he, sounds just like him. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty much just like that. And so he introduced me to uh, this guy. And I'm, I hope I don't butcher his name. His name is Mike Billat. And he owns Integral Defense Group, which is uh, what he does, IDG stippling. So he, oh, yes. is, uh, he does stippling in Cerakote. I, and, I, remember, I remember looking at their website. Yes. And so he is coming on the show. And he's very excited. And he said, I want to send you guys a gift. Oh, and we so love gifts around he, here. He sent us the, this is really cool. I'm really excited. So I have these under a little I, cloth. Uh, here. Yeah, it's like, it's a very fancy red cloth. It is. And I'm going to unveil this for you. I know. I came in and I was like, man, what am I? What okay, am I? You ready this? He made us gun experiment, Mike and Keith, Mike and Big Keith, yin and yang, Oh my gosh, check that out. Yin and Yang P365s for you and I. Dude. So yours is the black, of mine's the white. Of course mine's the black. <laughs> That's really, really cool. You can look at mine as well. Obviously, you can safety check them. Yep, as I'm doing now. So it's like a, a, a black and gray camo, and man, is that stippling. Stippling is cool, nice. right? Nice. Oh my gosh. 
Did you mess with my site? I did not. <laughs> wow, that is really, really. So is it just the whole base? Yeah. He, so, okay. so, so I have your your original yep. uh, um, uh, grip. I I just okay. swapped it out. I don't know. I mean, the white is kind of cool. I just I like the white and black, like the the contrast of it. And by the way, if you get bored of yours, we could swap. Okay. Like we do with a lot of our, <laughs> our gear. <laughs> just gear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we do with a lot of our gear that doesn't I don't involve know. Uh, I, sizing, because that would not work. Well, thank you very much for the gift. Um, yeah, Mike, it was very much appreciated. Um, I, I love the yin and yang. I think that was really a cool, yeah, cool idea. Yeah, that was a really cool idea. Man, that's sweet. I'm so. I, I, yeah. I, I'm so, so for anyone listening, that. yours is black multicam, and mine is like a white and gray multicam, and it's got like the black and white two. If you're not on our Discord page, you should be because I'm about to post a picture on Discord nice. for this. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get into our show tonight, but before we do, and before we introduce tonight's guest co-host, I want to talk about our new partnership with Four Patriots. So we've been talking about them week in and week out. These guys are great. Their 72-hour kit is only $29, which makes it very affordable to get one for each member of your family, which is highly recommended. Keith and I have personally taste-tested these. Uh, We've talked about how good they were. We were not disappointed. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. Uh, Their food is delicious. And on top of that, it has a 25-year shelf life, American-made. They give back to their community, back to their country, which is amazing. And it is all at a really great price, but that price gets even better. They have offered our listeners 10% off with the code GUNEXPERIMENT10. So go check them out at 4patriots.com. And it is now time to get into this show. Tonight's guest co-host is back to chop it up with us. Please welcome Fred Masterson from Force Options. Fred, how are we doing? I'm doing good, guys. It's good to be here again. Oh man, it's great having it, you back! Great having you back. I have to tell you, the last time you were here, as soon as you got off, I said we got to have him back because you were uh, not only were you knowledgeable, but you just were a lot of fun to kind of hang out with and talk to. So I'm glad to have you well, back. I appreciate in a, that. Yeah, glad to have you back in a more informal uh, conversation, and we can, like I said, chop it up. Uh, what's new with you? Anything? Well, just been running around like mad as always. The we. In the writing world, we've got a couple of different little busy busy seasons. You know, of course, right before Shot Show, you know, in uh, the month and a half or so, ramping up the Shot Show is crazy time. But this early summer is a is a pretty big ramp up time as well. So it's been travel pretty much nonstop. Are you actively doing any um, executive protection stuff or just trainings at this point? Yeah, I've got a. I just finished a detail. And we're trying to schedule another class. The challenge we face is um, the the amount of time it takes to actually hold the class. It, I wish it was a one day class, <laughs> but unfortunately, it's a uh, multiple days, and even that class has been compressed. So the class used to be an entire week long, but uh, it's it's very difficult for people to get a week out of their life. So we've broken into sections, and even the uh, compressed class is four days. So we're just trying to figure out a place to put it into the schedule. And once we make that happen, we'll, uh, we'll let the world know. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, just really quick, if you want to just give your website so people can check on that and, and keep up to date. Sure. Forceoptionsusa.com. Uh, we keep everything about the company there. We've got our training schedule. Uh, that's, our, that's our public training schedule. We have a tr- uh, private schedule as well for law enforcement and uh, private clients. 
but our, our public schedule is up there and anything you want to know about us is up there. Cool. So I, I was on your Instagram uh, a couple days ago and I noticed that you had posted a picture of ballistic magazine and mentioned that you have written several articles, um, uh, in ballistic magazine. So you have a couple, couple things in this latest edition, correct? Yeah, actually, it's a little embarrassing to be honest with you. I've got seven articles in this edition of Ballistic. Uh, okay, seven articles. Se- seven articles. So wow. um, Ballistic is owned by Athlon Publications, yep. Athlon Outdoors, and I write for all their publications. I've been writing for them actually since the inception of Athlon. I've been writing for these magazines since they began, okay. and before in their previous life under Harris Publications. So okay. I've been writing for them a lot and. Uh, I write a lot for those guys. Is there any art? So you said seven articles. Is there any articles, any of those articles that you would highlight? Like, what's your favorite one? What was your favorite one? Something you really would want people to go check out? Oh, gosh. You know, it's kind of tough. I'll be honest with you. There's a a couple fun pieces in there. Inside of Ballistic Magazine, we are housing Skill Set Magazine. Which used to be a standalone magazine. I know Skill Set. That's a really cool magazine. Very cool. Oh, Skill Set is so cool. So Ben Turpak is the editor in chief of that magazine, and he's such a solid guy. He's, you know, I'm not going to try to pitch him as a guest, but he would he'd be a fun guest. He's a he's a good cat, and Bliss uh, and uh, Skill Set's a great mag. But inside of it, I wrote an article on dissident cigars, which I really enjoyed. I'm a kind of a cigar guy. Distant Cigars, that's that. owned by, I know who that's owned by. Who's that owned by? Um, yeah, Josh, Josh Colburn, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, Josh, Josh works for Brownells. Sin. Yeah, Josh and Sen own that. And they're actually in Nicaragua. It's a pretty interesting story. Their, they, uh, their thing is crazy. Like, he'll post pictures from this beautiful place in Nicaragua, and he's working oh, I know. remotely from there. It's so cool. I know. I'm I'm just absolutely jealous, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> Uh, another piece I thought was a lot of fun was on the, on the Wraith Thermal, which is a, a thermal optic by, by site Mark. It was um, a lot of fun. Actually, in fact, I just got back from a hunt using an optic down in Texas, so it, it was a good time. You're talking R- Keith's language. Yeah, it, what go my, I, got a, I perked, perked up a little. Wraith it was? Yeah, so Wraith is their new. So Wraith, the Wraith line was a. Uh, a line of optics they had. Now they actually have a mini thermal inside the Wraith line, and it's a high resolution optic. It, it ex- works extremely well, and I can tell you from experience that it works really, really well. This is pretty cool. Uh, we yeah. were in a hide and managed to take a couple really nice hogs with it. Cool. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I, I I haven't looked at Ballistic in a while, to be honest. I really like Skill Set. Uh, that's a magazine that I've always found to be so so interesting because it's it is kind of this niche of guns and stuff, but they do all kinds yeah. of cool, what I call guy centric kind of stuff, you know. Um, Very much so. Not that it has to be just guys that read it, but it is definitely guy centric. So yeah, um, oh, yes. I was really excited to see that you had so much stuff in Ballistic, and I I may have to go pick it up just to kind of kind of read some of these articles. So I'm. Um, I'm going to go check it out. So we're going to start off today. Uh, I guess we'll start with a little gun news. It's kind, it's kind of gun news. Um, <laughs> Is it? A little, little bit of guns, a little bit of wacky tobacco. It's got a little bit the of- Devil's lettuce. A little bit of everything, right? <laughs> so this article- uh, is about Biden's administration insisting that cannabis consumers have no right to arms. And this is coming hot- off the um, Minnesota 
legalizing recre- recreational marijuana last week. And so yep. they are the 23rd state to legalize it. And <clears throat> of course, we know that just because a state legalizes doesn't mean that it's federally legal. It's still a schedule one. Still schedule one. And so I'm just going to read this part word for word. Yet even though President Joe Biden says cannabis consumers should not be treated as criminals. <laughs> sound, that sounds very libertarian. I like that. Going to let them out of jail and everything. Yes. His administration is desperately defending a policy that punishes them by taking away their Second Amendment rights. So we're okay with people indulging in adult uh, it's drugs, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. a drug. But we don't want them to have their Second Amendment rights and do that. That they can't. And what I found interesting, a couple of things, I didn't know these exact numbers, but uh, marijuana users who try to exercise that right are subject to federal penalties, including 15 years in prison yep. for buying or possessing a firearm. And yep. if they deny marijuana use on an ATF form- 10 more years. 10 more years. So we're talking 25 so possible years in prison. I, I always kind of like- I don't under, I, I, listen, I understand that part, what you just said about, you know, like if, if you own a firearm and you are caught with a firearm while using, you know, marijuana, sure. That 15 year makes total sense to me. Yep. But what if the person, when they filled out their, you know, their, their form, um, you know, they, their background check, their background check, they weren't smoking marijuana then. And it was like (laughs) something that they took up after. So like, so like, so like. I don't know. I'm just, it's more of a devil's advocate question. No, I, think, I understand. Than so else. like what you're saying is like, all right, so like, let's say. I think the question is, is are you an an, uh, an unlawful right. user of marijuana? What, what is the statute of limitations? <laughs> What's the statute of limitations? Right? Like if you smoked marijuana when you were 15 in high school. Correct. Does that mean correct. that you are forever a. Unlawful user of marijuana. Correct. I agree. Or, or if you, you know, went on, you know, vacation to Jamaica and hung out with Bob Marley and his friends, you know, I right? And it was like a one-time weekend thing. Like, are you an unlawful user, user. user of marijuana? I, I Like what? Because you were then on vacation. But are you, when you come back and you're now taking- Yeah, but well, I don't know. Are you still an unlawful user? Fred, what user? do you think? What is the statute of limitations here? <laughs> well, this is uh, this is ATF and pretty much the Department of Justice at their finest. This yeah. is a skill set that they <laughs> That master. only they have. <laughs> oh my God. And we call it the gray zone of death. It is absolutely gray zone, <laughs> gray zone because it allows you to do is, is prosecutorial discretion. So yep. if they want to stack on charges, maybe they get you for tax evasion. I don't know. Maybe they get you for whatever. Well, Hey, you know what? You smoked dope in the ninth grade yep. and you lied on your 4473. Guess <laughs> what, Jack? Or other times, you could be, I don't know, maybe the president's son and lie on a 4473. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was reading some of the, I'm sorry, Fred, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was reading some That's of these com- comments at the end of the article, and one of them was like, pot smoking, totally not okay. Crack smoking, all good. You know, you can have a firearm <laughs> and smoke crack. No problem. Well, so one of the things that this says is, and this is really, this article was great. Um, Keith, could you look up who this, who did this article? Because it was good. So the, 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 the writer of the article we're talking about right now? The actual publication, not the writer. Oh, well, the publication was Ammo Land. Okay. Um, and uh, it was Jacob uh, Sullum. So he did a great job of this because he brings up, actually, he doesn't say quote by name, but he brings up Bruin. And he says, to pass muster under the Second Amendment, 
The Supreme Court says a gun control law must be consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. So that is, that's alluding to Bruin. And in trying to do that, the Biden administration has cited 18th and 19th century laws that prohibited people from publicly carrying or firing guns while intoxicated. But what's interesting is, and it says this somewhat in the article, I'm paraphrasing, is that they're not just trying to say you can't be uh, under the influence of marijuana and carrying a gun. Like that would be no, no. Like that, that would be historically maybe accurate. They're flat out saying you can't be a user of marijuana on Monday while not carrying a gun, and then on Friday carry a gun. That means you're you already broke a law. Like. They're, they're not really staying consistent with this, right? Because it's like drinking and driving. You can have a beer and not drive and you're fine. And you can drive and you're fine. It's when you combine the two that you have a problem. Does that make sense? Am I, Keith, is that- It makes of, sense no, to me. I, yeah, go ahead, Fred. I agree. You're absolutely on the money. This is, uh, once again, this is the hypocrisy on this is just, is just jaw-dropping. They- and honestly, I, I believe that for the most part, it's left open by design. It allows them flexibility to do as they like, uh, to prosecute as they choose to or not choose to. And as I tell people that immediately want to go get their medical marijuana cards is be careful because it's a trap. Right. Just like the braces were a trap, this open, we're not going to have any comment whatsoever. Now, they've, they've made a few statements, but the ATF has not truly made an outright formal statement regarding individual states and the growth of the number of states saying that they've whispered things like what we find here in Amelman. They've whispered things about what could happen and what are continuously, you know, their, their statutes and regulations, but there's been no formal from a podium statement on that. And I, I will refer to the idea or the, the time when marijuana became legal in Nevada via Las Vegas and SHOT Show was on its way to Las Vegas, and the internet was abuzz with all of our gun friends talking about, oh, I can't you know, can't wait to go to Las Vegas, so I'm going to go to the dispensary. And I'm like, <laughs> immediately, I'm like, okay, you need, first off, you need to take that down if it's not too low to rally. Two is it's a trap, folks. It is absolute trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, first, the other thing that came to <clears throat> mind in this article is if you talk to the Democrats about marijuana, they will talk about how, and they're not wrong, how marijuana laws were disproportionately unfair to inner city black America, that there were a lot of young black men who were punished unfairly for their roles in marijuana sale. And and I actually agree with that. I, I think that that was somewhat the case. And They've tried to rectify that by, I can say in my own state in New York, that there have been situations where they have tried to rectify it by giving people whose families were affected by this maybe unfair incarceration, by giving them the first opportunities to open dispensaries. Correct. And so they're saying, we realize that we were a bit over the top on this, and now we're trying to rectify it. Yet they don't see that, and I'm going to use this very specifically, law-abiding gun owners are just now that next group that they're willing to make uh, unfair laws against, right? And so it's it's just amazing to me that they don't see, I mean, they probably do see it, they don't care, but that they don't see that, you know, 
why you did something for years and years and years that were unfair to one group, you're about to do the exact same thing to another group. We, we say all the time, we, we, they probably know, but I think the reality is, and I've said this a couple times, they believe what they're saying. They, 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 don't, they, don't, they don't think what they're saying is wrong. You shouldn't be able to smoke pot and have guns. They believe that. They believe it wholeheartedly. Well, I, I mean, flat out says it, right? He, yeah, he, he, says, says it. he says, I support mar- recreational yep. marijuana. Yep. So he's okay with that. He just hasn't wrapped his head around the idea that guns are okay too. Nope, not in this case. You, yeah. They're okay, and I guess as long as you're not a pot smoker, then, yeah. then you're okay. So I, I have to read a couple more of these comments that that I had read at the bottom of the article. I yeah. couldn't help myself. So this one is uh, from Op- Opie. I'm going to say uh, I don't think it's the Opie and Anthony that we're that <laughs> we all know in New York, but uh, <laughs> didn't didn't Clinton claim that he smoked pot but never inhaled? I think that was right before he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Uh, I really wonder if that POS actually thought people believed that bullshit. The Clintons are, are the Clintons still are more full of shit than a Christmas turkey. <laughs> I've never had shit in my Christmas turkey either. But no. Well, the only thing here is, though, uh, the only problem I have with this is Bill smoked, um, but did he actually own a gun? Because then that would be a problem. Uh, I think... Is he a gun know. owner? I don't know. If I, I mean, what do you think, know. Fred? Is is Bill Clinton a gun owner? Uh, no, not with Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't allow that shit. Smart man. You don't have to let her yeah. have guns. <laughs> not that I would accuse him of anything, but I'm pretty sure the Clintons have killed more people than Winter. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, well Keith. You yeah. sent me a very interesting article. You said you were following this story and stuff. So I'm, I'm just, just intrigued by it. I, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who who uh, are pretty intrigued by it, but uh, I hadn't he- heard this. Oh, really? You had not heard this. So no. it's pretty much it's you're under a rock for the last week or so. But I'll read the headline: Mo- Mother of four children lost in Amazon for 40 days initially survived plane cla- crash. Oldest sibling says so. There were four kids, uh, ages uh, three, 13, 9, 4, and 11 months, who were traveling on a plane from an uh, indigenous part of the Amazon uh, with their mother, who was the pilot, and I believe maybe a friend of the family or nanny, something like that. Anyway, small engine crashed, small engine plane crashed. News that I had sent to you uh, with this was that the mother had actually survived the crash for a, f- crash for a few days, but... The 13-year-old child survived in the Amazon with her with her three siblings, siblings yeah. for 40 days, one of the siblings being 11 months old. And I read the article and it talks about they like would like hide in like a, like a tree, burrowed out tree to yep. keep away from animals. Jaguars, poisonous snakes, poisonous plants. So I read an article today that, because I'm still fascinated, like, what did this 13 how, how did this 13 year old girl know what to do and one of the articles i read today is like everybody's asking those type of questions but what everybody is the article went on to say and a totally separate article fred than what we had sent to you on this particular one but what the what the one that i read today had said was everybody's asking that question but what everyone is failing to look past is it's the fact that indigenous colonies in the amazon this is normal like, right. well, they were, kid, they were indigenous children. Right? They were indigenous children. Kids grow up at three, four years old, walking down in groups to the river and fishing and gutting the animal, you know, fish themselves or large animals or helping out with chores. It's very natural for these kids to, you know, instantly care for their siblings or mm-hmm. take adult, what, what, 
what Western civilization would consider adult activities or adult responsibilities. And that's maybe the difference, right? Is that these kids were desensitized to all of like what we do. Like we say, you can't help us with the laundry. You don't know how to work the washing machine, right? Or whatever. These kids are washing their own laundry, right? right? You know? So one thing that I have, and then I'm actually going to turn it over to Fred. I want to hear something from you. But so I tend to think that our kids are very sheltered. They're exactly what you're saying. This this, this 13-year-old. But keep in mind, like when you say the age 13 years old, so initially there's going to be a, a, a fear factor of like, oh my God, what yep. just happened? But I like to, I'd like to think that at some point, especially if you're 13 and you have younger siblings, that you sort of rise to that occasion. I actually think our, even our own kids would, kids in our, in our country, I think would. I think you'd be surprised when you're up against it, how sometimes your natural instincts sort of take over. And so- because it's it's they made it sound like the kids were scared they were hiding right they well they but, knew they were in a jungle and there were predators yeah and but I want to think like if you took a bunch of American kids and you put thirteen right teen, yeah they would know I'm scared hiding is a good option that's like a that natural part instinct. I agree with but what to eat what not to eat yeah you know what to give an eleven month old that they can eat you know what I mean like and taking care of a nine and a four year old on top of that. I don't know, Mike. I don't know that many 13-year-olds in, in our country could rise to that occasion unless they were trained, unless they well, knew what to do in the outdoors and knew how to do some of those but things. But what I would also question is, this is in their natural environment. So imagine and if it was natu- here. But that's the difference. It's not just their natural environment. It's the way they were raised. Like their grandmother talked about how she knew that this 13-year-old would be okay because they knew what fruits to eat. They knew what so, things but not to I, eat. I'm going to pose this to Fred. but So, Fred, based on what Keith is saying, but would the same be true for, let's say, a kid in New York City who there's an emergency in the city, would they be able to travel and move and, and hide and know the ins and the outs of New York City? And would a kid from upstate New York or a kid from Alabama, would they know how to kind of navigate their train? Fred, what do you think? You know, that's a great comparison because as you guys are saying, this isn't that when we say indigenous, it means that's where they live, right? Yep. This is like getting lost in your backyard. You know where the apple tree is at, you know where the wild dogs are. And if a kid grows up in the streets of New York, and especially if they're out in the streets of New York and something happens, some sort of disaster, or whatever, and they're left to their own, they would do pretty well because they know everything about the city. They know the ins and outs. They know where food is. They know where water is uh, for the most part. Now, there's going to be some sheltered, just worthless children out there because right. of the parents. But I don't think that's really um, – I don't think that's really the case in this situation. I think it's a matter of their environment and what they grew up in. Just like a kid in Alabama or a kid in, you know, let's say in Colorado. They they're they've grown up in in the mountains, they they that's their backyard that's where they play, and all of a sudden their vehicle breaks down fifteen miles from home in the forest. Well, they they've grown up there. They they know, unless once again they've been completely sheltered by their parents, which happens. I think that they would fare pretty well. And not to take away from this thirteen year old because that's amazing. My kudos is the fact that she managed the little little kids as well. Yeah. Because no matter how much you grow up in there, if they're so young, there's not much growing up going on. They're right. still little kids. And she she uh she deserves a huge I mean they were they the were severely dehydrated, ability. you know, but forty days. <laughs> yeah. You know, still pretty impressive. Yeah. Um 
I just I, I I get the comparisons that we're talking about, and I do think like when you're talking about getting lost in your backyard, you know, 15 miles from home or something like that. Like I feel pretty confident about finding your way out of those situations, or you know, knowing where to hide, knowing where to go, those things. But it's the it's the what to eat and what not to eat in a jungle. <laughs> but, <laughs> that, yes, but they know that jungle. You know, well, like, and growing up, you haven't. Having been in Central America and South America, it you do learn what to eat, and mm-hmm. the kids do know what to eat. I, mm-hmm. I've seen them in you know, what, what we would consider backcountry, just walking down and grabbing something off a tree that I would, and they're munching on it like they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and they I, I that. think it's, that's it's the difference. The culture. I, there you go. That's the word I was going to say. What was it? The culture. It's they, they're raised. Their culture is different than ours. They are. The, yeah, and and again, so. that was really what this article that I had read today, like was an update of, of the one that I had sent you early in the week was that is what the difference is, is that the things that we shelter our kids from, even our kids, right? Like I, I reading it, I don't let my kids clean dinner, <laughs> you know, trim a steak or clean, you know, I don't let my kids do their own laundry. I don't let my kids, you know, watch their, you know, 13-year-olds watch a four and a nine-month-old. You know what I mean? Like, right. those things aren't natural for us to do. They, they, they're fupa, yeah, you know? But- and in, and, and in, their, in their, you know, culture, it's very normal. It's very normal for... Yeah, for, but for, so, you, like, if you take, like, our kids are grow up in a rural area, right? If you dropped our kids onto a subway track, I'm just using this as an example, Right? There's a very good chance they touch the third rail. They have no idea what it is. They're just goofing around. They touch the third rail. And, yeah, I think that's right? the same for these kids that right. were in the jungle for 40 but days. But what I'm saying is that's our kids, mine and yours, who have never really spent a lot of time in a city. But every New York City kid, every one of them knows you don't touch the third rail. So my point is, is that I think that I think that when in your own environment, whether it be the Amazon or be New York City or be in the mountainous region, I think that we don't teach our kids how to whatever clean food because they don't need that. But if kids got in a plane crash in Manhattan, food wouldn't be the the, the problem. You know what I mean? There'd be other issues to surviving. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, plane crash is a bad example there. But if they got lost in New York City, food wouldn't be a problem. There's food all over New York City. I, I understand the point. I do. It's not, that's not what I'm debating here. What I'm saying is that the fact that the activities that are necessary to survive the way that they survived are more natural and more a part of their culture every day from early ages, yeah, which but, it is not in ours, but that's only, is the difference. So like, let me give you the note. What if you drop those kids off in New York City and they, survive? That they would wouldn't. not, that would not be a good, that would not work for them. Right. Okay. But it's not, you know, you're, you're focusing on this. It's their environment. It's their natural environment. So they're they're good because it's their natural environment. That's sort of the, the whole basis of your argument. Right. And I'm saying it. Yes, there is this piece of it that their environment is natural and it's like what they're used to. But it's the it's the things that they were raised to do that are differently. It's not ex- socially acceptable. I guess is maybe the word I'm going to say. It's not socially acceptable for a western civilization Americans I'll even say to let their kids do the things that these kids were brought up doing American civilization it's not a norm in this country in this indigenous population a lot of the things that helped these kids survive it's the norm 
It's how they're raised. It's very yeah, natural I, for them. I, I don't agree though because they, I, I, I've seen kids in the city by us, our local city, not not. New you York don't city. see nine. No, you don't see nine year olds no, taking listen. care of four and eleven month no, old. No, I'm going to tell you a situation. situation. I used to go to a barbershop down in the city, by not New York City, but our local city. And I'll never forget watching a, I mean, I would never as a parent allow this to happen, but I watched a little four-year-old boy with his two-year-old sibling and he's holding his hand and he's walking him around these like mean streets that I'm like, I'm a grown man and I'm not really comfortable being here. And it wasn't even a thing. That kid was totally fine. And I think like that walking kid was street not, corner to street corner in a busy kid, city is not no, the I'm same. I'm talking a crime ridden city. Walking a street that, corner in a crime ridden city, corner to corner, is not the same thing. You, it, of course, it is. It's I, just I, different. I, I, it's it is. It's not the same thing because it's different. <laughs> no, it's it's the same thing. It's just different environment. But my point is that you're saying kids here are sheltered. Well, yeah, they're sheltered from jaguars, but they're not sheltered necessarily from drug dealers if they grow up in the I city of. That's what I'm saying is there's, there's, um, it's not just that it's that it's, it's where, you know, they're sheltered in a totally different way. They don't, we don't, we don't require or expect our kids to take risks that are outside of the norm for kids. And that's totally different. Like in, in, and that was part of this article as well Is like, they're saying like, they want their kids to do things that are dangerous so that they learn how to handle the things that are dangerous where we're like, Oh, don't go jumping off of a staircase too high. But isn't that, you know, they're letting these kids climb trees high. You're generalizing that. You don't know that you can't say that for every parent in the United States. You're saying that for their son. I, I think that's the vast majority. I mean, look at, I mean, look around us. Like we see, a, we, we have young kids. We see a lot of parents, a lot of, Parents w- in our area are sheltering their kids. I would know? argue there's a lot of people in urban areas whose kids are very left to their own devices. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think that that is, uh, we see it because it's kind of a squeaky wheel thing. Yeah. And people talk all the time about how soft kids are today. And I think there is a, a, a portion to that. But I think that there is a very quiet, very quiet, large majority of parents that raise hardy kids and have them. It really what it comes down to is is asking more of them instead of protecting them, being helicopter parents. Yeah, you know, letting them fall and skin their knees, let them climb that tree, letting them go fishing and things like this. I think there's a lot more out there. We just don't see it as much because the opposite of that is what really has been kind of shined on, even yes. by us, even by you know the conservative or, or right leaning people. We're quick to yell at the the trophy club and the everybody gets a badge type thing. But I think that quietly there's a, a majority of parents in this country, especially in, in the, in the heart of the country that are raising hardy kids. I, I see it all the time. There's an, I won't, I won't give you his name, but he's got a, um, he's a industry representative in central Texas. His son is very big in 4-H and his son has a friend. I, I can't even use his name, but he's a legend in the, in the writing world because we talk about it all the time. The kid's 13 years old. And it's driving a Ford F-350 in the town <laughs> pulling a horse trailer. What I will say, Keith, to to kind of bridge the gap maybe, is what you're painting in this story is a very extreme situation. And I just don't, I don't know how many. I do agree with what you and Fred are saying in terms of like there is a percentage of American families that are raising hardy kids. Like I do agree. But we don't know I, that they're not the exception. Maybe they're the exception where they're from. Based on everything I've read, they are they're this they're in a they're in a community that's 
there's no school. There's no yeah. like grocery store. There's no, you know, it's well, an, like if Jaguars are the norm, <laughs> it's an indigenous part of the country. Yeah. Like it, that's what it means. Like it's not, it's not in comparison, in my opinion, they don't, they don't have any of the distractions that our kids have. I actually think, and I said earlier, but I actually think anytime you're dealing with people who are somewhat impoverished is the word I'm thinking. I'm remembering another part too. They, they were fleeing, they were fleeing an armed um, gang, lack of a better term. I that did was, read that. That, yeah. that was trying to take over. Yeah. That's what they were fleeing from. So, you know, it's like why it's so important for them to regain, to retain their sovereignty because of the mm-hmm. way that they're raising their, their, their group of people, you know? So I want to switch gears here. I had sent you an article and this article was really, really, uh, I think it's very supportive of the Second Amendment in some ways, although it has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. <laughs> I but thought the same thing. You thought the same thing? Yeah. But I, I have to tell you, I did not, I had a video of it. I listened to a video. Um, of I the call? Not, the 911 call? Of the woman. Uh, no, the woman talking in <laughs> an interview. Maybe we should frame. Yeah. Sorry. So the, the, the title of this is, and I'm going to let you take over in a minute. Widow claims nine one one call to save her husband was ignored, and so I'll let you t- talk about the story. But I, I really felt for this woman. I listened to her talk, and I said, "This poor woman. No one should have to go through this." Yeah, she's basically, you know, I, I think it looks like she's suing, if I remember correctly. She's, you know, suing the the police for not showing up in time. Uh, um, a civil rights lawyer has has taken it up, and um, you know, I. <laughs> I don't want to say I, I, I kind of laughed at that because it's a terrible thing to say we were laughing at, but it's, 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 she calls nine one. She gets a, t- she gets a text message from her husband with a picture of a guy she doesn't know. And then her husband says, nine one one send please. And she's like, what's wrong? What do you need me to do? Send me your location, sends the location again. She calls nine one one she feels like the the operator's not really taking a sense of urgency and then transfers them to the dispatcher and ends up, you know, getting the runaround and, again, not really feeling like there's a sense of urgency with a hostage situation that she's claiming and ends up being the one, she ends up being the one to find her husband shot to death right. uh, by this supposed hostage. And, you know, the the whole... Premise is that, she, you know, she's like, I shouldn't have been the one to find him. They were very close to a police station. They weren't far al- al- away. And the police blotter kind of indicated that the way that they ended up finding out about what was going on because of another report of, of gunfire, not from the 911 call. And what was, again, where I started this was, like, what I kind of laughed at was, was, like, how is it the police department's responsibility to always get there on time. Like we've heard time and time again that we cannot rely on the police to show up on time. Well, this was extreme, right? So Fred, you read the article? No, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean like this, what are your thoughts on that part, Fred? Cause you, you are in well, the there's... industry and you do executive protection. Like did, did this seem like excessive time? Cause What's the average? Hour. It was what's, an hour. Yeah. What's the average response time? Like 15 well, minutes, seven minutes? I think it's longer. I think it's like Well, eight. they're in Colorado Springs. So this isn't some rural department. This is a this yes. is a major metropolitan area. Right. And uh, uh and this I I looked for this in several places. 
And honestly, the report on it, the, the essentially even the writing was almost identical. In short, I have a lot of questions about this. This something smells a little fishy. Yep. For Colorado Springs, for a major metropolitan police department not to respond for an hour to a body. Right. I'm calling a little bit of BS, BS. on that. Yeah, I, I agree. I really am. In fact, I'm calling major BS. There's a lot of lot of curious gaps in this, and I'm maybe it's true, and it's a terrible story. It's the it, fact that anybody died is always a tragedy, but there right. are some really smelly little missing parts of this. I can't. I couldn't put. Like, so again, I listened to the the woman, and I was like, you know, she sounded like. Like you, you could hear like pain in her voice. You know what I mean? Like I was like, well, her husband died. No, right, got shot. But I mean, like, she really felt like there was like a betrayal in her voice. Right. But the question, the, the part that I don't understand with this is, and, and to your point, Fred is like, I just don't know how this happens. Like well, you're, an hour's at, a long time. An hour's a long time. An hour's, an hour's too much time. Yeah. And that's at, where I'm calling. That's why I'm calling BS on this because shots fired, body discovered, that that is that is multiple officer that is multiple units rolling immediately, yeah. immediately. That is not an hour response. So I'll, Keith, are you, I'll tell are you something you, that's a little fishy to me, Fred. And it's in the article, the picture of the guy who's supposedly taking you know this yeah. driver hostage. He doesn't look like he's taking anyone hostage. Yeah, he looks. He's talking. <laughs> he looks they, like they're having a conversation. Right. You know, um, he looks. You know pretty relatively clean he doesn't look like you know i mean i guess there's some tathering on his sweatshirt here if you're looking at some crazy detail but he doesn't look like he's forcing the driver to do anything in this picture yeah and yeah where this really led me to go ultimately was regardless of whether or not you know whether this was legit not legit you know i mean this still a lot to a lot of answers need to you know come out before we can make a final uh, Judgment Absolutely. The, the first thing we can understand is that the first wave of information that we're going to get on anything like this is always wrong. Right. Yep. It's always wrong. Yeah. It's, uh, the truth it's is somewhere in the middle. Well, was it really an hour? Right? Like, was it really an hour or was it yeah. 35 and honestly, minutes? Honestly, and I hate to, I hate to throw this in the mix, but the fact that the civil rights lawyers involved yeah. with this already? Yeah. Really? My God. I mean, this is... That that's questionable as well. So there's some moving parts in this that I would like tied up before I. The only part that I had a civil rights issue with was the fact that um, if we could have guns wherever we want and not have to worry about uh, being infringed upon all the time, we wouldn't have to worry so much about how long it takes for nine one one to get to us. And yeah, stop denying us the right to defend ourselves. Yeah, that was where my head went on this right away. Was wow, an hour, and I'm thinking that is exactly why you should want people to be able to protect themselves, right? Like the fact that- Exactly, and I will say this. I have one more question on this. So the the image that they have on here where it says 911, send please. um, Those are two white guys. (laughs) Yeah. Those are two white gentlemen in the car. Yeah. Well, the the, the woman was black, right, in the the video I watched, but- the so driver is the driver, driver maybe, her husband. I think the driver's her husband. Driver was yeah. her husband. Harry Daniel yeah. said that the Campbell, the thirty-year-old black man, was was taken and killed. Hmm. Wait, it's his black. So, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Could he be? Yeah. I don't. Is it okay to say? Could he just be a light-skinned so, black guy? Is it okay to say? Once that? again, there's some. So here we go. Careful. I don't know <laughs> if it's okay to say that. 
<laughs> yeah, well, yes, I mean, it is okay to say that. Well, first off, I don't really see a whole lot. You can't see a lot of that picture. It's, no, you can just see his arm. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's ta- tattooed. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I can't tell. But it was a weird, it's it's a weird story. It's a weird story. Yeah, something, and, something's not sitting right. But as yeah. you said, the, the, if anything takes away from it, whether it's a load of BS or not, it still brings us to the fact that we have a right to defend ourselves. Right. We yep. have the Second Amendment guarantees us the right to bear arms. And if this was a, a terrible situation where this man lost his life, you know, you I immediately go to, well, what if he had been able to have a gun? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where Mike was going with this. That's where my head first yeah. went. Was like, I heard an hour, and I'm like, an hour. I'm like, this is why I, I want to carry. It's exactly why. <laughs> why you should carry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before we get to the second half of the show, I, I found this article. I, Keith knows this, and the listeners know. I, I love like MMA and jujitsu and hand and you know hand to hand combat combatives, and this is crazy. So. <laughs> Miami Heat, the, the, the article is Miami Heat mask got knocked out by Conor McGregor. And so the Miami Heat um, mascot, what's his name, Keith? The mascot's name? Yeah, it, was, it says uh, his name. Bur- Bernie? Bernie, Bernie, yeah. So he's the Miami Heat, so he's like the flame, you know. And so Bernie was, so he has, has gold boxing gloves on. And so this is, it's all for a uh, spray, like a... Um, what would you call pain it? Reliever pain reliever spray. Pain relief spray. Yeah. And so the the shtick is Connor's that, that supposed Connor's to, like a part of. He's supposed to knock him out. Yep. And then he's supposed to spray the relief spray on him. That's yep. the commercial. They don't say who the, the spray is, but what a terrible, terrible thing. Because first off, he actually knocks him out. I call total bullshit. I don't think he knocks him out. Where you where where you see him hit, his head is no his his head is is under the beak. Wait, what? Like, what are like, you talking about? If you look at the picture of the mascot, yeah. okay, this is where his eyes are. Yep. And if you look at the video, Connor hits up here. Well, so I have a couple questions, but before I even get there, this is terrible marketing because he he quote unquote knocks him out, and then as they're dragging him off the court because he's supposedly knocked out, Connor's like spraying him like he's because mace- it's relief spray. Well, but you don't know that it's a black <laughs> can of it could be mace for all we know, like. It makes it look like Connor is assaulting this mascot. He knocks him out and then he maces him. That's the whole publicity stunt. It That's was the terrible. Whole thing. It was terrible. But uh, they asked Dana White his yep. take, and I guess there was another incident where oh Deontay Wilder. So Deontay Wilder did a punch on a hot dog mascot, which is I mean, yeah. it's so funny, and he broke the costume wearer's jaw. And so uh, Dana White says. You know, maybe they'll get the idea that like, you know, MMA fighters aren't the best guys to like do these things. But I'm thinking, didn't anyone tell Connor that he's supposed to pull his punch a little bit? Like, I don't know. I had to slow it down to see the actual punch. Uh, well, I'll, I can I can try to find it here. What, Fred, what, what are you thinking? Well, I, of I'll, I'll tell you this. So I'm going to chime in here real quick too, yeah. because I watched this closely. The first strike, I, I agree completely. I think it was high. Yep. But Connor, when he was down. Carter wailed into him on the ground. <laughs> he did it. And I think that's I think that's where I think that's where the damage was done. I think the first punch was was staged because just the way he fell. So Fred won't be able to Fred won't be able to hear this, I don't think. No, I I, I, I when neither one of us are gonna hit it. Oh, hold on. Let me yeah, go back. Let me go back it, there to, it is. Let, let me go back here just to I agree with so you, the, Fred. That's the second, second punch on the ground. I think that that rocked his bell and yeah, I'm, I'm with Dana White. I'm like, what are you thinking? First off, 
Conor McGregor is a is a loose cannon. I wouldn't put him in front of anybody. <laughs> Come on. I'll tell you what though, the guy knows how to sell. He 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 oh, knows he, does. he knows how to sell. He does, and, and he got in some trouble now following that event. There's some unfortunate hubbub about him. But the guy just he's radioactive, unfortunately. He's such a gifted fighter, but man. I have I have a I have a love hate for him. I, I kinda love him though, I'm not I gonna know. lie. I I, 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 I can't help it. What's that, Fred? He's a great athlete. He's a he really is a good fighter. Uh, if he he's well, I I I, I know this sentence. If, if he gets shut up, it'd be great. To, I, I, I know this is unpopular, but I love villains. <laughs> I really do. I love yeah. a good, I love a good bad guy. I can't help myself. Growing up in oh, yeah. growing up in the eighties, I was a big Ted DiBiase fan. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. million dollar man. So all right. So before we move on, I want to briefly talk about onsite firearms training. Uh-huh. We've been working with them for two years now. Not only do they have great curriculum, but they also bring in the best guest instructors from around the country. Keith and I have obviously trained with those guys, and we've never done an actual course with one of their guest instructors. I would like to do that, but go check them out and get trained by the guys that train us. So, Keith, I'm making you do a lot of heavy lifting here. Tell yeah. me, tell me about this Maryland man. I have a feeling Keith and I are going to get an argument on this. No, I don't think so. No, I don't, you, I don't you know. and I usually don't agree on these things. Maybe not. I don't know. So a Maryland man has been carrying an AR-15 style rifle near school bus stops. Uh, so this is in um, Maryland again, as we just said. And for the past few weeks, this 20 year old has been strolling around his neighborhood uh, with a long gun, and what he says is. In a protest uh, against a recent state gun control legislation, and police have uh, said that his actions are legal. So uh, you know it's gotten to um, it's gotten to the school, and parents are obviously feeling uneasy. And um, the he has recently stopped hanging around the bus stops because their communication department has asked him to stop. And he said, okay, I'll stop doing that. The superintendent, I think reached out to him, right. And kind of tried to smooth it over. Yep. But he is still carrying the firearm around. And, um, uh, I believe the school has responded to parents, letting them know, like, this is legal. This is, you know, within, within his right. Um, it's interesting, you know, the whole premise you know, this gentleman is trying to say, I'm just trying to show people that, you know, uh, this is legal and that guns can be safe if it's controlled by the right person. Uh, and I'm, I'm okay with that part. I mean, I think that's a lot of what, what we say and what we talk about. Um, it does seem a little strange that he's choosing to do it around around a school. That, that maybe yeah. seems like... Fred, what are your thoughts on I mean, this? I'm going to let you... It's not of... cleaning a deer. No, <laughs> no. Fred, I'm, I'm going to let you lead on this. What do you think? All right. Well, there's there's a couple things about this. I can appreciate what he's trying to accomplish, um, but it's a massive mistake in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. There's he he's going to gain nothing by this other than negative publicity. No firearms organization on this earth is going to come to his aid. They're not going to give him any promotion because open carry like that, especially when it's when it's framed quote unquote around kids is a no-win situation. That is absolutely a no-win situation. He's doing more harm to the cause than he is doing good. And once again, I can appreciate his his what he's trying to accomplish, but open carry like this is really, it's a, it's a no-win situation. Yeah, so I always, and this is where I thought you and I were going to maybe disagree, Keith, is a lot of times you feel like if it's legal and someone's doing it, they have the right to do it. Let it. Let the, they can. But for me, it's always, and I always go back to this, and I think maybe, maybe we do agree on this one, is... Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should or 
have to do uh, something. And right. And the last time that I think something like this happened in, it was, it was the, the deer, deer. you yes. know, and I'm like, I, it's his property. If, if that gentleman's gonna, you know, process a deer that he hunted, you know, yep. in his front yard, cause that's the place he can do it. Yeah. I, I'm good with that. Right. You know, that's, how is this different for you? This is different because, uh, it, because it, it, I guess it's different because I, I recognize that while firearms are very mainstream for you and I, they are not mainstream for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, I think we've said it a couple of times. I, I don't know how much the rest of the country is going to continue to, you know, stomach, stomach this kind of stuff. Uh, and I mean, shootings in schools particularly is what I'm talking about. So, you know, you, they're uneasy when they see a firearm, you right. know, like, I don't even know if I want to, um, let's say I, I want to go, uh, skeet shooting after I drop my kids off at school. Yep. Is it easy for me to put my shotgun and my ammunition in the trunk of my car and go drop my kids off at school, which is totally not allowed, right? Cause it's school property. You're not allowed to have firearms in school property. Mm-hmm. Or do I leave my firearms and ammunition at home? drop my kids off of school, go back home, pick up what I got to get and go to. Right. So You're lucky you live close. Uh, yeah. I'm lucky I live close. Yeah. And I, I, I guess that's kind of like what I'm trying to say is the same thing here. It's like, you just got to kind of know where the line is, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. I, for, me, for me, it's this, this for, is for me. There's a couple of things. So first off, it's the school thing. Listen, you gotta have like, a, why did he choose school bus stops? I, why not the grocery I, store? I think his point is, and I'm not defending. I think his point is I'm trying to show that I can be a guy with a gun on a school, near yes. a school and nothing bad is going to happen. But what he doesn't realize is these things are terrifying people. And while we'll say they're the minority, they're, you know, it's, it's, you know, AR-15s are one of the lowest used guns, all these stats, regular Americans just see what they see on the news. And all you're doing is putting them on, you know, making them nervous, making them uneasy. And that's, as Fred said, that's not going to bring anyone over to your side. Yep. You know, so for me, I, I always go back to just because I can do something doesn't mean I should or have to do it in that situation. And so I just think it's in kind of poor taste. If anything, I mean, the the last quote of the article, Governor uh, Westmar's office uh, condemned this behavior, adding that it will not change his views on gun control. I think that's honestly probably what's going to happen here is it's probably only making the gun control well, people feel stronger. They're going to they're make this legal thing not legal anymore. Well, you, I mean, you New York State, to in it. New York State, you can't carry a firearm anywhere that children gather. Right. Doesn't have to be a school. It could be a park. Right. Um, you yeah. know, I, I, I just think you're almost pointing out to them the, the, the holes in their gun control. I'll just say they, once again, I, I can appreciate, I can appreciate his passion, but whenever we do something that we're trying to advance our agenda in this realm, we need to measure that and really take a long look at it and look at it beyond our bubble. How is it? Cause we, we expect everybody in the world to have the same rational thought process that we do in regards to firearms, but that is simply not the case. They are, it is, it is the boogeyman. They've been conditioned to believe it's the boogeyman. It's going to explode and kill people just by sitting on the table. And no matter how irrational we think that is, it is still a reality. So we need to measure or measure what we do carefully. Well, listen, Fred, if that article's got you going and got you, you know, thinking, this one's really going to get you thinking. So this article says, how 90 Day Fiance star Stephanie Maddow ended up hospitalized, hold on to your hats, people, 
after eating too many beans to sell farts. She is too hot to be farting in jars. <laughs> we are doomed as a society. I'll just say it right now. So the Romans. Yeah. So she is a very attractive uh, woman. And I she, didn't even think that I didn't even think women that good looking farted. Uh, so <laughs> she so I mean, listen, she was selling jars of flatulence for a thousand dollars a piece and made over two hundred thousand dollars in two months. I, I mean, can I sell my farts? No, you don't look like her. Well, no. first off, so what the, if I put a picture up that said I did? <laughs> there's been a lot of so the article kind of goes into how. A lot of her stuff has been sort of, uh, she's she's very good at drumming up publicity. So some say she went on 90 Day Fiance to get more publicity because she already had a following and that was a more of a publicity stunt, which worked. She got a bigger following. But I guess she has like one of these private accounts where people can go on and, you know, whatever. And somebody said to her, "Will you send me a jar? Will you fart in a jar and send it to me?" Now I have this to say, was a couple years ago too. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, in a nice touch, she sends the jar with a little potpourri inside of it. So she puts <laughs> fart with a little, little potpourri inside of it. Fla- sorry, flower petals. Ay, ay, ay. She was making fifty thousand dollars a week selling jarred farts. I just, I, I don't get it. And I agree with what you said, Fred, hundred percent. And this is the topper of this: is that she. Uh, ended up in the hospital. Ended up in the hospital because <laughs> to keep up her lucrative business, she started eating eggs and muffins and you know all kinds of gassy, high protein foods, and it wound up giving her real st- stomach issues, oh and she God. got hospitalized. I om- I I am kind of curious how the process works. So, like, do you hold a jar in one hand, fart and, jar and- lid? Well, that's, is that the process? Has to be. And is it legs straight up in the air? Is it, is it straddle? I didn't think about that. You know, like what? Well, with that kind of money, you can have an assistant. Yeah. A a leg holder? Someone to hold the legs up? What would someone have to pay you to hold a jar under their ass while they fart? (laughs) What? $50,000 a week. (laughs) Yep. That's about the number. (laughs) I mean, this is great. So now... This is a this was a classy touch, I have to say, in, in a very classless art. So she had this little stomach problem, but she's going to donate some money to digestinal, di- oh digestive issue. By the way, again, master at publicity, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I would say this. If you are out there and you're buying one of these jars, you, you need to stop. Yep. <laughs> you just, you just yeah. Help society seek, and stop. Seek help. Yeah. <laughs> well, now she's moving on. Her new venture is fart NFTs. So if you're into... NFTs. Now you can get a, a fart NFT from her. But I, I have to yeah. say that the article says that this started because one of her fans was like, "Can you send me a fart?" And and Fred, to your point, <laughs> it's like, what I the mean, hell? listen, I hear in like Japan they sell like used underwear in a vending machine. So I've like, heard that I, too. I know there's some crazy things. I've heard that stuff too. It's just it is wild, and you know, I had to, I saw it and I was like, this is just too funny not yeah. to talk about. Well, I will say this too, and I'll. I, don't, I won't go into too much, but after reading this, after using the information, I was I was flabbergasted. I brought it up with a friend, and he exposed me to a world that I did not want to know existed. <laughs> can you talk about it on the sell. air? I don't know right. if uh, we're talking. I mean, you can go to eBay. Apparently, you're talking about the underwear in vending machines. Machine, so yeah. underwear, socks, and it's. I just stop there. It's. The, oh, yeah. the number of things and oddities that you can buy that people pay 
a lot of money for that other people have worn and done things on. Yeah. It makes me fear for the human race. I, I really want to, we're going to end this with one last article. And, and I, I know this is going to fire both of us. Up. I really want to take the positive spin of this, but I I'm just can't. I, can't, I can't do it. So, so, well, first and foremost, I sent you this most recent article, which was Texas high school delays, graduation, hundred percent of seniors now ready to walk. Yep. So I had seen the article last week or a couple weeks ago where basically only like a very small percentage of of the kids in this in this particular Texas high school half right uh, less than half okay uh were were eligible i think it was 5 out of 38 uh kids that were eligible very small very very small school um and uh they were not, only 5 out of 38 were eligible a couple weeks ago and i almost sent it to you mike because i was like what the hell is this and then I just I just kind of brushed it off, and then this article came out, which was now that now that they've delayed the graduation, the hundred all hundred percent or all thirty eight of the seniors are now eligible to graduate, and it just bothered me. So can I just add one thing to this? So the reason why so many were not eligible, they claim they claim in this is that this is sort of a it was attendance, it was attendance, it was missing assignments, missing assignments, right. all this other stuff. But they they do sort of frame it that this is a community that lower economic yes. economic status. Sure, right. I'm not I'm not saying that that makes it right or wrong. I'm just sort of framing this. And on the outside, I actually think this article was meant to be sound positive. I think it was too, but right? I think it's total horseshit. I agree with you. I'm again. I'm I'm just sort of laying some it's, stuff it's out just there. more of the same crap that we deal with in this country as in terms of like you know. Um, uh, l- letting people get away with more, it's okay. You didn't do it the first time, so go ahead and try it again. And we'll just, ex- we'll move the goalpost for you. The problem we'll- I have with this is, is that, and where where I was going with it is, this article is supposed to sound positive. 100% of seniors now ready to walk. Well, yeah, they're supposed to. That's the job well, of a senior is your, I mean, again, 100%. No. Yeah. But it sounds positive, but I'm reading between the lines here and I'm going, yeah, but you had to like extend the school. Correct. You had to you had to make all these concessions for them. And I just it's like if you didn't do the assignments, then I guess you shouldn't pass. You don't show up to school, I guess you shouldn't pass. Yeah, no. I mean, what how is this gonna work for the rest of their lives now? These other and again, I feel bad. Like, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like, okay, 33 out of 38 kids, seniors are not really kids, right? Are were weren't didn't meet the criteria to graduate. That's shitty for them. Yeah, it doesn't give me a lot of faith in this particular school district. I would want to send my kids there. Well, yeah, I mean, well, you, if you live there, you don't have a choice, right? Unless you can pay for private school or whatever the case may sure. be. Sure, or you sell your homeschool. Yeah, I, I suppose that's an option too. Sure, if, if you yeah. if you have the ability to you know to do that. <laughs> the quote, the well, other one is we're 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 pegging this. It it is graduation delayed but not denied. <laughs> I just it bothers me. Does it, it say really, where this school was? Well, uh, it does say where. I, it I'm is. with you guys. I, I'm with you guys. It bothers me the fact that they are a, a couple things about this. One is that obviously they're they're modifying the the end date. They're modifying the quote unquote due date on it. And two, if it's such a major deal, why are the staff and teachers not on top of this? Because this is not something that's happened in a week. Something something was cooking with this for some time. Yeah. And, 
That bothers me too. Well, well the, the parents report card is a B rating, which is actually pretty good. Considering. So you got to read it. You got to read that more. It's a B rating and assessment based on how it performs compared to other schools within student populations in similar um, economic conditions. Gotcha. So you got to read the fine print there. Yep. It's a small town just southeast of Waco. And Fred, to your point about how this had been brewing for a little bit, the parents were an uproar. Like they had no idea. They were like, I didn't know that my kids were attend. That's, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's a little bullshit too, right? The reason why I like this article when you sent it, Keith, is because, you know, a lot of times on the show, I mean, we talk about guns and we talk about everything else too, but on, and particularly on this show, but it really, it all kind of ties together, right? Like if you're not educating your kids, if you're not holding them accountable, and by the way, I don't know, I don't know Texas education. I know much more about New York's education system. You're talking about institutions. Institutions don't change easily. Institutions don't, they're not like for-profit companies where if it isn't working, you, you come up with another system because it's for profit. In schools, it's like, well, if it's not working, you know, well, we'll just try again next year. And they don't change very easily in institutions. And that goes for whether it's prisons, whether it's schools, whether it's, you know, any government entity. Institutions like that, they don't change easily. And it just makes me really worried because these kids are, they're voting adults now. They're, you know, and, they're going to be out there working. And they're walking away with, well, I didn't meet the cut, but they Still just moved, they, they moved the goalposts for me and and helped me make, help me figure that out. And, yeah. you know, I, I know. actually feel bad for them. If you get I, dropped in the Amazon jungle, you're not going to get. They will not survive. <laughs> they will not be getting yeah. a goalpost move. They will not survive. Yeah. Well said. I did not agree earlier, but maybe you're winning me over, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I think that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And a very special thanks to Fred for hanging out with us and shopping it up. Be sure to check out all of Fred's latest articles in Ballistic Magazine. I know I'm going to. And if anyone out there has any opinions or thoughts on tonight's conversation, especially the farts, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Discord and let your voice be heard.